guys, welcome to Purposes and Priorities, our journey for men through Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter. First and second Timothy are written to the same guy. He didn't have two sons named Timothy. He had one spiritual son that he was mentoring and another one named Titus, young leaders. And so those three books are called the pastoral epistles and that he's writing young leaders on priorities and purposes for their ministry. And uh, I believe everything he wrote to them applies to us, and that's why it was in, included in the canon of Scripture. Uh, speaking of leaders, I heard a cute story the other day. Uh, two Cajun preachers, Reverend Boudreaux and Reverend Pierre, pastored churches across the street from each other. One was a Pentecostal church, one was a Baptist church. And one day they were seen on the side of a road between their churches, nailing a sign in that says, the end is near, turn around before too late. And about that time, a convertible sped by, and the guy yelled at him, you guys are religious idiots. And he swerved around the corner, and there was a sound of screeching brakes, and then a huge splash. At that point, Pierre turned to Boudreaux and said, you reckon the sign should just say, bridge is out? <laughs> good illustration of the importance of brevity, which I hope I will heed tonight and won't keep you guys too long saying simple things over and over again. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We ask you to speak to us and uh, bless our discussion time and help us, Lord, in our applications of what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the schedule here with dates and passages that we want to cover at that time. So pick you up a copy and consider taking a week. Maybe you've never done this before. It's not that hard, and uh, it would be a blessing to us. All right, uh, we're going to read the first 11 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. He definitely believed that God commanded him to do what he did. I mean, if you remember his testimony, how he was saved, he was like, yes, Lord, either, either be blind or surrender to the call of God. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And, of course, this letter is going to be read publicly, and so this has given Timothy authority as he reads it to the congregation that uh, Timothy's uh, doing things not just based on his own, not just arbitrarily, but he's got Paul backing them up. He was serving at this time at the church in Ephesus. Um, they should teach no other teaching than what Paul had shared with them, the gospel. Nor give heed to fables or myths and endless ge genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Uh, our faith is, is to be in the grace of God as told through the story of the gospel and not in our genealogy, not in our pedigrees, not in our um, personal opinions, but it's based on faith in Jesus. Uh, anytime we major on things that aren't really that important, as fascinating as they are, I mean, your family tree is very fascinating. Uh, 
but you can research that to the point you kind of get lost in it and everything else isn't as important. And at this point, these people in Ephesus, no doubt were a multicultural church, and some of them were probably really proud of their roots and so they were fighting. And uh, I know in Eastern Europe, uh, because over the centuries, borders have moved so much, you've got Hungarians living in Romania and Romanians living somewhere else, um, that they're, they're, they, churches can get into squabbles, you know, and arguing about borders and stuff, disputes, things that aren't related to the faith, to the Christian faith. Um, history is full of all kinds of atrocities that have happened to people. But where are we going to go from here? Are we going to keep pining for a better past, or are we going to face forward to the future? And so uh, the gospel is, is a truth that God has redeemed mankind through the work of Christ on the cross so that sins can be forgiven. Redemption can take place so that we can move forward. Not saying if you've done somebody wrong, you don't need to try to make it right. But when you get into your family tree, into genealogies, it can you'll never stop. Never, the mystery of iniquity is deep in the human race all the way back to Adam. Verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing, <laughs> he's covering it all, that is contrary to sound teaching or sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So the purpose of the law is Jesus, of course. It's our schoolmaster that points us to the Savior. The law came to show us our need for salvation. And when Christ changes our life, he purifies our heart, and when we don't walk in love, we're convicted. We should be. And if we're not, then we're searing our conscience in some way because love is the fulfillment of God's law. And so the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, but it's not, it doesn't stop there. It, it's the end result of the commandments. God wants love from a pure heart, but we have to be redeemed by Jesus to create that. And so the law prods us along toward that. So I just want to look at verse 5. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And some have strayed and turned aside to idle talk, arguing about all kinds of stuff, desiring to be teachers of the law. Hey, you guys got to try harder. You got to do this. You got to do that. Understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. But we know, verse 8, that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, 
you read that without understanding the revelation of the gospel, you think, oh, yeah, we're supposed to live under the laws of Moses. But you understand the law is not made for people that have been made righteous. It's made for unrighteous people to show them that they're unrighteous so that the gospel can have an impact in our life. If you have the scripture on your car, on that card, just turn it over. And I've just shared three passages. There's others. There's numerous places where Paul writes about the law. And my assignment to today is to talk about the purpose of the law. Why did God give the law uh, through Moses? Um, Romans 3:19 and 20 says, "We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped." And all the world may become guilty before God. So the law was given through Moses, 613 laws, to reveal our guilt. You know, a policeman can't pull you over for speeding if if there's not a default speed limit in Texas. You know, they can take the signs down. But I think is 45 the default speed limit? If there's no sign, you need to know it's – in Illinois it was. Depends on your, if you're on the interstate or a residential street. Or yeah. So, there, so there's there's a law on the books. The sheriff, would know. A law on the books. Otherwise, you could drive 150 mile an hour as long as there wasn't a sign. You know. It's not so, illegal until it, they, they pass Until the law, right. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law shows us our lack of love. The law shows us our sin. Lines are drawn as to God's righteous requirements. And we can't cherry pick. You know, there's certain people trying to live by the laws of Moses and preaching that we need to keep the feasts and we need to keep the Sabbath and we need to this and we need to that. But they're cherry picking. You know, they can't offer animal sacrifices anymore without great difficulty. Uh, where's the Ark of the Covenant at? I mean, all these things that were put in place. Um, you know, Christ, when he fulfilled the law, man, a number was done on, on people doing it. And so those that are attempting to live by the law wind up becoming legalistic, missing the whole point, and cherry-picking, picking and choosing what they like and leaving and ignoring what they don't like, which reveals just how wicked we are not how righteous we are. By the law comes the knowledge of sin. We learn that we are sinners because of the law. All right? And he elaborate. you get into Rome, Romans covers this a lot. Chapter 7, still talking about the law. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Okay? We just did what we felt like doing, but we weren't tempted to sin because we didn't know. Go ahead. Without the law, there's no such thing as sin. Without speed limits, there's no such thing as speeding. 
the judge can just smack your wrist and say, yeah, you need to be more careful. But until there's a law on the books, go ahead. Well, you know, we're talking about the, the Mosaic Law here, right? Mosaic Law? Mm -hmm. The principle the of law. What was the sin before Moses took the laws on Mount Sinai? Because Adam sinned, but there was no law. Well, the God had said, no. do not. One law they were given. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil. If you do, death is the consequence. So now, death becomes a consequence. It becomes a normal part of the human experience. And man just becomes horribly wicked. But there's no law to point it out, right? Noah, knowing something was wrong, finds grace in the eyes of the Lord and obeys what he knows is right and wrong, based on how God made us, um, says, hey, there's a flood coming. So that's the law. A flood is coming. Get ready. Here's the way of, here's the way of escape. You're saying it became a law when he said, do not eat from the, from the tree? Yes. I, I believe it was a law. It don't don't eat the tree. You yeah. do? It was definitely a commandment. Yeah. Right. You do. There, there's a, yeah, it was a commandment. You do. There's a. After all, God was a judge, so there's a yeah. law. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, we're talking about human nature being exposed. Right. Sin is in us, it's just not exposed. I could have dirt in the bottom of. Let's say I put dirt in the bottom of this, and a few hours later, that water would be just as clear as could be, but there'd be some dirt down there. And you could probably drink it and be okay. But here's what the law does. The dirt was already there. Well, the law stirs it up and makes it visible. The speed limit sign makes speeding visible. The speedometer helps make it visible. I'm not expecting you to swallow everything I'm saying. Just chew on it. That's all. Okay. Um... Apart from the law, there really sin was dead in the sense that there was not an awareness of it being there. Okay. So is the law sin? No. <laughs> the law reveals sin. Were it not for thou shalt not covet, we wouldn't know coveting was wrong. But sin, taken opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. So we're just rebellious enough you tell me don't, suddenly we want to. We see it in our kids. And, you know, our babies are born selfish. Part of it is self-preservation. But you really can't punish them for being selfish until you start telling them no. <laughs> until you start laying down some laws. You can't punish a child just because they made you mad. It's not disobedience, the kid's just being the kid, right? Until they know right from wrong, until they know what you're doing, what you're telling them. Then what they're made out of is revealed, all right? I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, I couldn't keep it all, and the wages of sin is death, so the law reveals the fact I sin, I'm a dead man spiritually. My death is revealed. And the commandment, which was to bring life, 
I found to bring death. So how does a commandment bring life? By pointing us to Jesus. In itself, we can't keep it. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. So my sin. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. So sin was already there, but the commandment reveals it, stirs it up. So, in my mind, I think um, the bigger the hypocrite, the more sin is exposed in us. Hypocrisy is exceedingly sinful because a person knows they're doing wrong. Romans 2, he talks about, why are you telling people not to do stuff and you're doing it? This is trying to hammer other people with the law. Line up, boy. Line up, girl. And your own life isn't. the, The answer isn't more rules. I mean, our world can only create more laws and try to enforce them to change people. There are some some rehabilitation programs out there that, that make some progress, but when I watch the news, I see things getting worse. You know, I watched a reality show back when Ted Koppel was alive. He Is he dead now? Oh, no. He's not on the air anymore. No. Not he was just so him. official. You know, yeah. he's just so, I, I enjoyed listening to him. And he, one of his shows where, where they went into prisons, and the old prisoners were just ranting and railing on how the young prisoners have no honor and how wicked and evil they are. And I laughed thinking, you're a bunch of hypocrites. But then I thought, you know what? I think things are getting worse. <laughs> more predators, more stuff. So our nation already has over 100,000 pages of law, not counting your HOA laws. <laughs> and... All we can do is make more laws, you know, like the gun control thing. No matter which side you get on it, more laws, it just creates. We need a redeemer. It points to a problem. We got a problem. But a person has to come to the point in their life where they see there's a problem. Yes. Because you don't need a savior if you don't have a problem. And so in our culture, a lot of people there's still the the feeling, well, I'm not so bad, you know. Uh, And this is the gospel. It's a fact that we have a problem, and here's a remedy. We need forgiveness. We need new life. Well, it's not come to Jesus, he's going to make your life better. No, come to Jesus because without him, your life's going to get worse. I always found that that the adults that I saw come to Christ generally always had to come to a crisis in their lives. You didn't intellectually convert them to Christ. They came to a to a real crisis, and then the the promise of Jesus becomes very alive to them at that point. They can see the gospel message and why it applies to them. 
Jesus said the sick the sick need the doctor. <laughs> and that's me. A lot of people, you know, there's it's called finding your bottom. Oh, <laughs> man. You know, yeah. and all of us, well, not all of us, I mean, I found my bottom. It was, luckily, God, God found me there, too. And that was what was amazing, mm. is that God is always there at our bottom. Mm. And, uh, no grace. But anyway, that was... Comparing ourselves to other people, we find ourselves, and I think a lot of people that don't look to Jesus, well, I'm better than that guy. He's supposed to be a Christian. If I was a Christian, I don't need to be a Christian. Yeah. And uh, yeah. um, and people that don't understand the gospel, they may look at our past and compare them, their present to our past and say, hey, he's no better than He's no better than me. They don't understand we, our past has been redeemed in Christ. We're not there anymore. We're following Jesus. Um, and the, the laws expose that we're, we're a sinner. I mean, there is a place for using the Ten, the Ten Commandments in evangelism. I don't think that's the only way to evangelize, but there is a place for it to, to reveal to people. Unfortunately, they reveal it to people sometimes that aren't ready, and it just turns them off. But that we're liars and we're thieves and we're cheaters and we're this, that, and the other. Um, a few years ago in Fort Worth, there were two different evangelistic teams on opposing corners in Fort Worth evangelizing. One team was using the, using the Ten Commandments to show people they need a Savior and then just leaving them feeling condemned because they have to ask the question, what can I do to be saved? The other corner was doing the two-question test. If you were to die today, you know you would go into heaven. And if God would ask you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would, what would you say? So two different approaches. They're trying to do the same thing. And one day the heaven group uh, were approached by a guy that had just come from the Ten Commandments group. And they asked him, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And the guy said, I honestly don't know. According to those people across the street, I'm a lion, thief, and fornicator bound for hell. <laughs> well, would you like to know how to go to heaven? Yes, until he got saved there on, on the street corner. So they actually were working together. So the law does have its place in evangelism. Uh, Galatians 3. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. That's what the law does. It puts us all in the same boat. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, the King James Version says our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean we can just live in any old kind of way? No, we live... We live a life of love. We live a life according to 
Christ's commands. He told us how to live, and it's it's from a heart devoted to Him, and uh, it's based on faith and not on works. So the purpose of the law is to point us to Christ, because nobody can keep them all. And in fact, in the law, in Leviticus, was a law that. Uh, commanded capital punishment for anyone committing the sin of blasphemy. And if Christ was lying as to his identity, then he was guilty of blasphemy and worthy of execution. That's the basis upon which they killed him. So technically, Christ was killed by the law by people who were guilty of unbelief. So you could say he was killed by the law to fulfill the law by unbelievers. Reveal the ultimate sin is the sin of unbelief. So it was a setup. Um, and another verse in the law says, if you if people that are hung on a tree are cursed, are cursed to, cursed to those that hang on a tree. And Christ hung on a tree to take the curse of the law for us. Now he wasn't guilty of blasphemy. He wasn't. He was just stating facts as to who he was. And sometimes he didn't state it as clearly as. I would have liked, but he still said things that alluded to, to who he was, to the point, you, you've gone too far, you've got to die. We've got, we got Bible to kill you. And this is what law-based thinking does, is you look for atrocities in others and not in your own heart. He did say, the works I do is proving what I'm saying is true. No man can do these things. Walk on water. There's an Old Testament verse that said God walks on the water. Jesus did. Well, Peter did too, but it was with help from God. So, Anybody else? There's no like, wait a minute. I agree with you, I There's a lot of people who don't realize there's, you know, like the folks in Florida uh, learning from God. There's two things, like the two fingers, pride and jealousy, to tap root of all sin. If you get rid of all that, you're going to have the right heart to God and you're going to be following God. I mean, you study about it in every avenue in your life. If you get rid of all the pride and jealousy in your heart, Maintain God's love. You won't have any problem. Well, jealousy can be seen in coveting. It's it's tied. I'm telling you, it's tied to coveting. Well, stop. this way. How can you have jealousy without pride? And how can you have pride without jealousy? Figure it out. It can't be done. I I said it many hours and many nights, thinking under what situations and looking at life and God was right. Pride, pride, pride gets her sin was jealousy. Yeah. God. Cain's. Cain's sin. Jealousy. Lucifer. Now, Lucifer before him. Now, now, what law did Cain violate? Sure. God. Yeah. God said. No, it was that rock stuff. Rock sin. <laughs> Sin desires to have you, and you should rule over it. 
he gave in to the desire to destroy. First of all, his, his uh, offering wasn't good. Apparently he didn't give him the best of his crops or whatever or something. Something was wrong his with heart. his heart to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. His heart was yeah. And his brother's was acceptable. Yeah. Another good word for pride is ego. Do you sweat more when you raise vegetables than you do when you raise um, sheep? <laughs> you walk more raising sheep. Anyway, he's like, man, look at my efforts. Yeah. Anyway. Then just that he didn't give the first fruit. You know, and that's where we start talking fruit. about the laws. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, we have lawyers that we have to use to interpret the laws. Yeah. And uh, then you get into trouble there because whoever has the most money for the best lawyer, <laughs> or, you know. Yeah. And, and what's amazing is the, the biggest majority of the laws that we have, most the biggest majority of Americans abide by it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not the just the 1% or the half percent that, that causes the problems. And... So let's. What do we do with the, that half percent or the one percent of prisoners? You know, how do we? You know, and uh, is that percentage growing? I wonder. I think so. Well, it's. It, I mean, jail you know, the population on, of Texas, and then you put the prisoners we have. I mean, yeah. of course, Texas has more prisoners because we're a bigger state. We're the second largest populated. So no, it hadn't yeah. gone up. It's just. Now they're because Texas is such a growing state. Yeah. You know, and our answer for most of our problems, a lot of them, I think Alan would say, a lot of the prisoners that end up going to jail, that's really not what they need, but that's all we know what to do with them. You know, yeah. Yeah, well, you're talking about lawyers, and it always infuriated me because I'd have guys come to me after they're on pain, they're getting ready to go down. And they'd say, Sheriff, I'm going down for something I didn't do. So we'd talk about it. And no, you didn't do what you're going down for. But your lawyer convinced you that if you planted that, you'd get less time than if you went down for what you did. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, and... and <clears throat> Judge not lest you be judged. Yeah, it's a messed up deal. 90% of the lawyers are crooked. Yeah. Mm. And there goes goes, uh, how the law is. Yeah, the law doesn't purify us. I find the words that you're arguing over.